Thanks for tuning in to Jin and Tantra. In this episode, we dive into the later work of Carl Jung and get his ideas surrounding the Book of Job and Carl Jung's psychoanalysis of God via this story. We also discuss the deep influence of religion on society, Alfred Adler, the alchemy of union, and a deep twist on a classic tale. Stay until the end if you care to. It's a doozy. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Jen and Tantra, spirituality with a twist. The podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail. Your spirit has been longing for. I want you to get together. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. Technology <laughs> and tears. No seems like spiritually with spirituality with a twist. Couldn't get through that tagline after that shit. Um, all right. Hey everyone. <laughs> we're we're back. Uh and uh scat back in scatty. And uh so um all right, so we're like we're gonna do something a little bit different. We got through our this big chunk of things that were kind of like relationship episodes. And I'll talk about the new subject matter in a second. But uh, first, I want to say one last thing about our last series of episodes, just to make a clarifier on this. Um, you know, we were talking a lot about uh, relationship structures. We got talking about polyamory. I know a lot of people in the poly community in Chicago. And, you know, different things came up about that. And one of the things I had kind of said was that there's a certain amount of people who are interested in exploring their sexuality. And there's a certain amount of like kinkiness, you know. And uh, we both agree that that's fine. Yeah, yeah, uh, great. Do it. Do what's important to you. So no judgment about any of those things at all. But I realized as we were talking, I wanted to just say that, like, as in any other community, you can't stereotype people either. So I just make sure that I made that absolutely clear. All kinds of people have all kinds of different motivations and all kinds of different reasons for doing the things that they do in that community as well. And there are some people who are probably interested in like um, exploring sexuality in their ways and they do it, but that doesn't mean that they want to do that in the context of longer term relationships. I think in general, they do. There are people who are maybe non kinksters, um, mm. uh, but uh, you know, and they have like their own partnerships. There are people who have really, really long relationships too. You know, we talked about Carl Jung. He was with the same person for 40 years, but I know people that have been with people for 20 years and 10 years and so on, you know, with uh, their relationships going strong. So, and it's, it's diverse. So I just wanted to make that clear, especially with a community like that, where it isn't well known. And then if you say something, it was kind of a little bit off the cuff for me, but if you say something like that, people can really glom on to those words and think, oh, that's all there is for this or something. And then you get a lot of labeling or stereotyping or generalizations. And I just wanted to make absolutely clear that it's a really diverse group of people with all kinds of different motivations and, uh, and all kinds of different ways that they're living their lives. So I didn't want to like paint anything in too narrow of a box, especially for a community like that, that's small. People may not know too much about. 
And I guess the follow-up will be, we'll have other people who will come on. Uh, we have guests like lined up, you know, to come on and talk from their own personal experience with this. So we'll hear from other people. But I just wanted to make that clear. You know, I do think like, especially now it fits into our episode a couple episodes ago, you realize everything you say can be taken so serious. So literally, I guess you'd say, right. They've been or talking about a... this for years. I mean, it's called the Miranda. Yeah. Record. Yeah. Everything that you say can and will be used against you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we get a certain amount of people. I mean, we've had situations where like, you dumbass, you said that wrong. Right. <laughs> we've had that happen. Right. Um, but for the most part, people aren't too harsh with us. I can't complain about that. No. But no. Uh, um, with that, I sort of realized that that was a big deal. I, I'll just tell an anecdote about it because it hit me. I was on I, you know, campus teaching you know, my Chinese medical stuff. And there's one of the students there. And she said, um, we were just kind of joking around because I initially thought, well, she, this person doesn't like me <laughs> when we were initially in classes. And then she was explaining uh, she's from uh, she's from Asia. And she said, no, I just couldn't understand what you were saying. Mm. <laughs> and she said, you use a lot of long words. And I was like, do I? I don't know. But um, so she was like, you know, for me as a, a non-English speaker, non-native English speaker. And then we drove, we were laughing, you know, because, you know, we were just kind of joking around. And then she said, well, the other thing was uh, I had heard on campus, there was a big discussion that you don't like Aquarius people. Mm. And I was like, what do you tell What? I said, no, it's a real thing that like people were saying that you don't like Aquarius and I'm Aquarius. So I thought you weren't going to like me. And I was like, what? how the hell did that happen? And I realized I just made like one joke about this in a class. Um, and it's definitely not true that I don't like Aquarius people. I love y'all Aquarius, you know? And uh, the joke was just about my first love, who was the one that had such an impact on me that we talked about in other episodes. She was the one that made me think about relationships differently, right? think about jealousy differently. I think in a major way, she was like part of the reason why I started even doing Zen in the beginning. Mm. You know, I still have furniture that she built for me in my house, you know, after all of these decades, you know, she made me like a great, she was like, her father was, uh, uh, worked in like a uh, uh, cabinet building. So she had all these skills for doing this. So I have like furniture she made as gifts and things, you know, a real important part of my life. But I was like, okay, so you could say one thing <laughs> as an obvious joke. Cause I just said, our relationship was combative. But I just made a joke. It's because Aquarius and Gemini, <laughs> you know, and I was just teasing. Uh, but then people took it serious. And I thought, holy shit, people are going to take what you say so literal, you know, when, even when you're obviously joking. So anyways, I just wanted to do that little bit of clarification because it, you know, it's a community that people don't know much about. And then, you know, you might get things where people would start coughing like stereotypes. And I don't think there's any stereotypes in that community at all. I think there's like a credible range of people doing different things. So I just want to do that. Thanks for letting me do that, Daniel. I wanted to say that stuff um and when you think about the whole thing do you ever feel like you say something then people take it much too literal or much too serious i don't know sometimes you don't know until people tell you back i was shocked i don't like yeah. aquarii capricorns well they suck no that's a teasing daniel i'm just joking <laughs> daniel's our capricorn in the thing but my, both my parents are capricorn capricorns are lovely people i've never met a sign that they don't like i never had any experience like that they're all fine mm -hmm. i'm leaving here you guys <laughs> You never no. get taken too literal. <laughs> no, no. I guess you wouldn't know till someone told you, right? That's right. All right. Um, okay. So for today, we're moving into a new subject matter. I thought the way to introduce this was just to talk about our conversation yesterday. Daniel and I were trying to decide, okay, which way do we want to go? We finished this whole big series. We had done our things on political events, and uh, we had kind of like, I had like two things. If I was going to do the notes, I had kind of two things in mind. 
One was this thing called passionate enlightenment, which is about sort of Tantra and women's role in Tantra. And the other was Book of Job by Carl Jung. And I kind of just threw it out to Daniel as like, just a, what do you think, Danny? Which are the ones, which of these, these ones do you want? And then you said Book of Job. And I was like, holy shit, I got to write something on Book of Job because it's one of the most complicated things we're ever going to talk about mm-hmm. on this show. I was like, holy shit, of all the ones to choose, Book of Job. Um, well, there's only two choices. There was a 50% chance I was going to choose this. You know, I know. And that's, I know the reason why you chose it. You explained because now there's so much going on with religion in the world, you know, and so much yeah. going on with the stuff that you wanted to talk about, Jung's impression on this thing. But I was a little bit like, oh, son of a bitch, I have to finish this book, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I just did today. And um, and it's really deep. So I was like, I got to figure out how to talk about this thing, because it's one of the, probably the more deep things Jung wrote. So just as a little context, he wrote it like in his late 70s. And to me, it really seems like he kind of just didn't give a fuck anymore what he said. He was like, OK, I'm 76 years old or whatever. He mentions it in the book at some point. And you get the feeling like, he waited till this certain points in his life to say certain things. And he was like, you know, this is it for me, my stretch run. I'm going to say what the hell I want. And so it seems like he does. Uh, it's a real, uh, it's a kind of an incredibly like rich, like complicated kind of book. Um, it's not a bad read on some level, though it's challenging in parts. He's uh, he writes it. You know, he, it's a very, um, what's the name of the book, Eric? For it's called book? answer to Job. Okay. Answer to Job by Carl Jung. Okay. It does fit because we're talking about Jung and it does fit in the sense that, you know, we were looking at, um, I thought I said it earlier. If I didn't, that's bad on me. Answer to Job by Carl Jung. So he's commenting on all kinds of things in the Bible psychologically, especially the book of Job, which we'll talk about. Um, and he goes over sort of big swaths of like biblical stuff really talking about from sort of this quirky psychological point of view. And then he offers his commentaries. And sometimes he drops in things that are pretty wry. Like, you know, he'll be kind of going on and all of a sudden he'll make like a little like semi-snarky little remark, <laughs> mm. you know? So he'll be telling something and then he'll say like, hmm, I wonder why God didn't use his omniscience to figure out that Satan was going to do that. Huh, that's a curiosity. And then mm. he'll continue on, you know? with like kind of relaying these stories and giving his interpretation so it's like it's a funnier book to try to like talk about but i think um we'll try to do the best we can to summarize some of his big ideas in this you know yeah in a interesting way there's major parts that we're gonna be talking about today where it's almost as if he's like psychoanalyzing god and that's a kind of an interesting approach to take because he keeps going what's god like what's god's personality what are god's you know like maybe issues and stuff but you don't hear too much and he does it like in this very i mean it's serious it has a little bit of a playful vibe to it some of the parts are really kind of written a little sardonic or ironically so and he also is like young so he's bouncing all over the place with stuff so I'll, you know as far as my part in this i'll try to do the best job i can in presenting the ideas so so he's psychoanalyzing god <laughs> or in a different way he's psychoanalyzing the cultural factors that would produce this way of thinking about a god but he kind of plays around like he's doing a little bit of both of those things mm. i mean what do you think the idea of like psychoanalyzing psychoanalyzing god is kind of amusing yeah i think that's fun yeah it's fun so um so in that sense it's a religious and it's a spiritual book um i wanted to comment a second like see what you think about this too daniel about why a book like this would still matter because some people might feel like well i'm not conventionally religious so this book doesn't matter for me so much 
But um, I think part of the point he's trying to make is that this whole culture that we live in is so influenced by this stream of thought, whether you're a religious person or a non-religious person, you're living in the culture that's the down product of this whole like millennia of this way of thinking. Um, I'm sure you agree with that too, right? Yeah, I actually have a newer patient who she's in her mid sixties right now. And I was just kind of explaining to her the massive difference between her and somebody five, somebody 25 years, her junior, you know, between essentially boomers and millennials. Yeah. 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 The, the difference in mentality and, and whatever is, is hundreds of years of growth in a, in such a short amount of time. It's interesting because the boomers are the parents of the millennials too. I yeah. Mean, so it's a it, weird generational thing. So it and flipped. it's so spread apart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. so spread apart that, you know, looking at that from a psychological perspective can give you insight into like previous ways and how the world was versus how the world is. And everybody obviously is case by case, but just the technology that was available. So it, I don't know, there's just, there's so much, there's so much difference between the way people think kind of pushing your way in can give you really almost deep cognition into how the pressures of society were, were pushing on them, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, to kind of mm-hmm. fit in and conform and, and everything else. Um, it, it is kind of a fascinating thing. Yeah. I also, I mean, like, as I was thinking about trying to make the point of this, I, I thought about like Jean Paul Sartre, the French philosopher has a thing where he talks about Western culture and he basically says something like at a certain point, you, you took out all the religious stuff and you just left the culture continuing on, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you lost the religious backdrop. You made everything about evolution, but now evolution produced all the same stuff, you know, mm-hmm. that the culture produced, which is, that's quite a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, and so once you see that, you realize, oh no, it's a continuation of this same line of thought. You just kind of move some of the, the yeah. dressing around, right? You change the gown on the person, but you know, they walked out and it's the same person underneath the clothes the emperor is the same underneath the clothes the right the same yeah, and I, yeah. And I i think to your point even as we move as we move forward you know like religion quote unquote falls away but yeah to your point like all the influences are are still totally there they're just muted in a different way the gatekeepers yeah. change you know and, and some of the the societal expectations change but you just have to scratch the surface you know and which you know, I'm reminded of the episodes that we're, you know, we're, we just did on the relationship stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. there are far more swingers parties, you know, mm-hmm. now than there have been before that there's a, a community of people who are more open to work on yeah, yeah. changing their concept of attachment and so on and so forth. That's still a small, tiny swath of, and it, it could be very it small. Was. It's, I mean, look to the numbers. It's probably, you know, now, they do say that in an American person's life, it's more likely that people will be in something like that statistically. You know sure, what I mean? Sure. And the, as far as I can understand it, the number of women engaging in like yes. extramarital activities is like skyrocketing. But like yes. overall, people who would be like, okay, I'm going to try to live my life in a different way, no matter what it is, it's still going to be pretty small. It's going to be pretty and, small. Yeah. But otherwise, it's kind of like this flow of this culture that we're still living in. So to understand the culture flow is, I think, is really important, right? I mean, even if you think of, we'll, we'll go pop culture reference, which we don't always do. But if you remember the song by Outkast, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. I don't know that one. How's it going? Oh, you never heard I of mean, that song? 
I mean, I'm not going to do, do this with each other, but then right, right. Eric, we're really going to do it. Uh, I'll, I, I'll, I'll be Eric for a second. Oh, you never heard of sorry, Miss Jackson. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. I am for real. You never heard of that? Anyways, I'm sure most of our audience. I don't, I don't think my renditions are that like, <laughs> like indecipherable. Uh, anyways, okay. so, but it's a very, very popular song. Sorry, Miss Jackson, uh, Outcast. And in it, one of the lines said by. Uh, Oh, it's what's his name? What's Andre three thousand? Andre three thousand. <laughs> yeah, replace uh, cheat cheating and beating replaced the ch with the b, and it's almost the same thing. Oh, okay, but it's not even close, actually. No, it's not even close. A- at actually, all. it's not even close at all. Yeah. It's not even. And close Andre three thousand is kind of a quirky dude, <laughs> right? I know, but I'm saying like that he felt in in you know in in that song, which is you uh-huh. know an apology to someone's mom for not being a great partner to their okay. daughter. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah. know that like that was part of it. So I'm saying you scratch the surface on this, and there is that cultural influence. Yeah, it's still there. No, it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even even if you remove the religious, you know, what we believe to be religious influences on our culture, we still the seed is the same and it's a puritanical. That's kind of my point. There's still like a line going through where sure. a lot of the same values and ideas are kind of there. For sure. Even though the religious parts of it, justifications, you could use that word, I suppose, yeah, yeah. or religious associations, if you want to be a little bit more kind hearted about it, right? Yeah. Aren't there anymore. The same underlying thought process is kind of there. Like you changed part of like a, the superstructure, but the substructure stayed kind of the same, right? Yes. The underlying flow stayed yes, the same. Yes, yes, yes. And I know what's going to mean about like religion or spirituality as the, as the future goes forward. You know, we'll have to see what it means. This is a complete aside, though. But did you ever see the Key and Peel where they do "While There'll Never Be an Outcast Reunion"? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Andre three thousand is so weird. Yeah, because he's so weird. <laughs> That's so uh, it's a good one. I can recommend that video. That's one of the one of the important key and peel videos right there. That's funny. Totally, totally yeah. worth it. Yeah. Though the best one is the one where they're texting. Yes. Just if you want to hook up on a key and peel video, that's really funny and that, so true. Yes. It's the one where they're texting and like the texting goes worse and worse and worse. So the one guy's ready to show up at the bar with a bat full of nails. I love, it. <laughs> I love And the other dude's all chill and he's high like you know they just completely misunderstand each other and the one guy's super pissed off and the other guy's just like chilling at the bar (laughs) because the texts were so misunderstood between the two of them classic so true um (laughs) the other one thing is i don't know where it's going to go for religion and and non-religion with this jung does have a point like he makes towards the end of the book that's not like uh it's not commenting on the bible or something he's just talking about religion at the time that he's writing and he does say you're going to get two camps of people you're going to get religious people and you're going to get sort of people he describes as agnostic, but he's really talking about agnostic atheist, you know? Mm-hmm. And he makes this weird point that, or interesting point and weird point. That's, that's going right there. Weird and interesting where he says, you know, with both of these groups of people, they both have a weird kind of, he doesn't use the phrase existential fear, but it's kind of like that. Neither one of them want to look too close at things. Mm-hmm. The religious person doesn't want to look too close because they don't want to see their religion get too challenged and potentially fall apart. So if it's a faith-based religion, it's sometimes if you look too close at it, it starts to unravel. And so there's a little bit of a fear of that. You don't want to look too close at things because it might start to crumble. Mm. And there's some intuitive sense that the person has. You know, I believe in what I'm believing, but if I looked at it more closely, I might start to question it. Mm-hmm. My mind might get more critical on points of it and it might start to unravel. So I better not look too close. Mm. 
and then he says on the other side people might be much more bold about saying you know i'm a you know i'm a, a much more intellectual person a much more rational person but they don't want it to look too close at shit either because mm-hmm. if they start looking too close it starts to look a little hollow and empty and their existential meaning won't be there and that'll start to crumble for them so nobody wants to look too close and i thought well that's an interesting point since we're just talking about you know religion and like the way it's playing out in culture some people yes some people no uh he does address it and i thought well that's a very astute observation like i buy that i don't think anybody wants to wants to look too close because there's a certain existential fragility in either one of those two directions so that's his observation what do you think of that one i thought that that's well said yeah i buy it yeah yeah it's an interesting point it fits into the podcast in the sense of like we're trying to promote this idea of like looking thoughtfully critically at your life looking thoughtfully mm-hmm. and critically at things you believe and it mm-hmm. it's challenging a little bit mm-hmm. right to do that you know, and i mean and ultimately th- you know thoughtfully critically at yourself mm-hmm. and everything you know yeah. like like you know like i mean your life yes but then in in, in the as the title your life but the chapters of the book are what you do with your relationships, what you do with your career, what you do with your free time, what are you doing with your attention? What well, that's you our doing? Jin and Tantra book we've outlined. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever what are you doing happens. with your yeah. energy? What are you doing with your sexuality, with your creativity? Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things. I mean, this is our book, really. That's mm-hmm. that's the book. I have like the Buddhist kind of mindset too, that like things are determined by the mind. The attitude, the thoughts you have, right? Those structures are going to determine how you see the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's you emotion know and mind together. It's emotion and mind together, but yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I sit on the side of that. You are, you do have genetic influences, whether we call them genetic influences, historical influences, ancestry, you know, uh-huh. whatever that, 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 that will affect your, your tendencies and some physicalities that can be unlocked via good life. If you take care of yourself, you know, or you can unlock some uh, idiopathic neurological issues or some chronic stuff that could be latent in your DNA because of who knows why, you know, who knows why Mm -hmm. certain people are prone, certain families are prone to having Crohn's or irritable bowel syndrome or, you know, whatever, asthma, you know what I'm saying? There's different medical correlations as to why they have them now, but like, why is it that stress in one person's life gave them hives and somebody else gave them bloody diarrhea you know mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. you know so i i do i agree with you i don't know what to what percent i lean on the ancestral genetic part but it, it i I don't, I don't i can't give it a zero you know what i'm saying i guess it's more like i couldn't give it a zero either because there's like karmic factors within that too that, but yeah you know Mike, I can't, it's just all fair. Yeah, I have to kind of go with the kind of Buddhist idea though too, that like ultimately if you analyze your mind, it's going to be those features, wherever those things are arising from are the things that are going to make a determination of like what's possible for you, how you see things and whatever. Yeah, but it is true. You know, like those things aren't coming from nowhere. They're coming from previous sources, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Whether they're your own individual karma, if you want to be more shamanic about it, which I know you love the, that thing of like, you know, the, sh- the shamanic line of the ancestry coming in too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I try to always keep that in mind when we're talking now that we talk about it more. You know, like my dad had a like this major car crash when I was a kid. It's one of the formative parts of my life. It's my very first memory in life is my dad having this car crash. Mm. And like he was were really beat up. No, no. But I remember like my my mom hearing about it 
it's kind of an interesting tangent thing. Maybe we'll talk about it at some point, but like your first okay. memory in life is pretty interesting. Well, we're in it now, so you might as well talk. Yeah. Then we'll talk about Jung, right? Psychologists, people wanted to talk about psychologists. This is Alfred Adler. And he said his first question to patients was always like, what's your first memory? Mm. With the idea that even if it's fictitious, it's still what the person says, or even if it's not their very first memory, but it's how they answer the question. Mm -hmm. For me, I have a very clear kind of first memory of my mom sitting at the bottom of the stairs and she just got the call that my dad was almost, could have be dead actually, to be honest. I mean, the accident was really bad. And she was sitting at the bottom of the stairs and I kind of walked down the stairs and I put my arms around her kind of in that kid way where you just kind of reach out, you know, and just wrap your arms around the person. You sort of know there's something wrong, but you don't totally know what it is, you know, when you're a kid. I was maybe like three or something like that, two, three years old. And um, and so I just did that like, okay, I better give some TLC thing. And I just kind of hugged my mom, you know, kind of just knowing, you know, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is. Obviously it's serious. And that's my first memory, you know? And uh, the idea is, I guess, with memories, if you see it out of your own eyes, then it's probably more real. And this definitely is sort of like I'm seeing it through my own peepers. Sometimes people will, you'll get a first memory and it'll look like it's a movie from the outside. And I guess research, research shows that might be more because other people told you about the story and you see it more like a story from the outside. But if you see it through your own eyes, it's more like your own autobiographical memory probably really happening there. So mm -hmm. that's my first one. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. My first so, memory is oh, of ice cream. My first memory is of ice cream cake. Yeah. That's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> my second birthday party, we had ice cream cake and I totally remember eating it and being like, Oh, this is the best. You took cake and ice cream, which I love both of them. And you put them yeah. together. Oh, <laughs> this is sacrilegious. So this is supposed to tell you something about the nature of the person. Okay, yeah, I like blue clowns that taste like cake and ice cream. <laughs> I have a slightly tragic backstory. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's really funny. Um, some of them are really serious and some of them are really tiny. Like I do know other people who like, if you ask people about it, you know, even in your circle, it's kind of interesting to hear what people say. It is a good question to ask. Yeah. Uh, so one person that was like, well, you know, we were supposed to have a party for me, another party thing, but it rained. So we had to had the party inside and we have a great time inside instead. That's like one person's memory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's not a very dramatic story, you know, but mm -hmm. some of them are pretty dramatic. I had one person I was asking it to, and both of her parents were schizophrenics. Mm. And uh, she eventually like, uh, what was with her mom? You know, her mom left being, you know, in, in, in clinic, you know, went, went out and was like living more on her own. And they were in a church hostel up in the Chicagoland area. And she woke up as a little girl and the building was burning down around her. So she just woke up in this blazing fire and had to get this, like this rescued is... out of the building. That's her first memory. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So some are pretty deep. Some are pretty deep. But anyways, if you want to, I mean, listeners out there, if you want to ask an interesting question to somebody, it's like, it's Alfred Adler, the great psychologist question, you know, yeah. thought, okay, that's going to tell you something about the person, whatever they say. Mm -hmm. I got one, I guess I can share that's a little Chinese medical for our Chinese medical folks. I usually tell this one, but I had a patient who had like all of these digestive issues and then also probably had a real hard time doing what they call in Chinese medicine, separating the clear and the turbid. And that means like, can you digest well? Can you separate the, the, the what's of nutritional value in your GI tract and send the rest of it down? They can eliminate it, right? Mm -hmm. They sometimes talk about the small intestine doing that work. 
but Chinese medicine being what it is, that's also considered to be like a little bit like a psychological thing too. Yeah. Can you figure out the clear from the turbid in your actual life? Mm-hmm. And then what's valuable that you should keep and hold on to. Like, this is a good relationship. This is a good job opportunity for me. This is a good choice to make in some part of my life. And this is what should be let go of. People who can't do that, they'll make decisions, but the decisions are, I guess you'd say the pun kind of shitty because they can't figure out the clear from the turbid, you know? So I was asking like this patient about this and I asked her her first memory, just out of curiosity, as you get to know people more, you know? And she said her first memory, she was walking down the street with her mom and her sister and she reached down to pick something off the ground that she thought was like a baby Ruth candy bar but it was a turd Ooh! <laughs> and she was going to pop it in her mouth. No. Yes. I know. No. Fortunately, her mom and sister saw it and they went, no. And she dropped this turd <laughs> right in the nick of time. <laughs> and I heard the story and I couldn't help thinking to myself like, oh my God, that's her first memory. She couldn't tell the clear from the turbid like ever. Oh, wow. That's the first memory. And I thought, oh, that's so telling. Anyways. We're planning on it, but there was we did have one email. It was like talk about some psychology stuff. So there's some psychology stuff worthwhile trying out in your in your circle of friends even and ask. You know, it's kind yeah. of fascinating. What is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ask your loved a, ones. A you good know, question when people have been uh, tossing back a few gin, gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, it's the it's yeah the gin and tantra when people are vulnerable with the gin and tonics. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Drop it in there. Um, all right. So I, with all of that, we could guess we can talk about Jung, right? Yeah. So. The book is called Answer to Job. And so what's he trying to do? So he, his point is initially about Job, though he's going to go through all their kinds of books of the Bible. And I was just finishing up his stuff on the book of Revelations, which is like pretty deep. So our plan is to do maybe the first part with Job, see how it goes. And then maybe we'll just do one other episode of follow-up because he says so many like interesting things by the end. But this is sort of like maybe the the initial heart of what he's trying to do. Hmm. But it builds on this core. So first off, I guess, how familiar are you with the story of Job? Do you know that one well? Yeah. I mean, I graduated from uh, North Park University, which is on the north side of Chicago, Illinois. And it is part of the Swedish covenant. Therefore, uh, requirement for graduation is uh, Bible study and theology amongst Ah, some other courses. So I have had you know i've had that as a as a class you know and in world religion and whatnot but taken as Uh a college course the you know it's an interesting it's a it's a more i guess academic way of looking at the the old testament or the new testament and then Mm -hmm. based on the papers that you wrote for it you would dive into something and they allowed really completely in total like independent thought and we're just happy to be talking about so even though it was a little bit of like a theologically driven school on some level oh no they, were they, they have up, a seminary yeah. Yeah, half yeah. of their school is a seminary oh it's so interesting okay you i know? mean i knew you went there but i didn't know how much the seminary influence was there you know what i mean so it was like you know serious. i think for their, for their they're known for their nursing and teaching oh uh, okay i know? see oh and that makes sense switch covenant yeah that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. but like they, 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 you know they have a good other other i mean it doesn't matter the point is that like part of your education regardless of what your major is is you have to take um a bible course do you have any particular reactions to the book of job do you have any thoughts of it initially before i even say initially, what Jung has to say well we should probably just give a oh, let's tell the story let's tell the story of it and then we can kind of yeah that's right we can give our impressions along the way yeah, okay cool yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a good way to do it so mm-hmm. the first thing i do if you don't know this story and a lot of people wouldn't necessarily right correct um 
Um, so here's the story of Job. So initially in the first scene, it shows Job and he's like a happy camper mm -hmm. and he has a lot of faith and belief in God and, uh, you know, seriously religious person, right? He's a farmer. Yeah. He's wealthy though. Right. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's back, not just back, like way back when you being a big, he had a big farm I mean, yeah, yeah. and animals. He has and servants and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, fill in the blanks wherever I'm and I put stuff in that might be important. I kind of did yeah. it like out of my recollections of it. You might recollect different things about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the initial scene, after that, it's Satan and God. But this is Satan, probably, Jung kind of makes a point, like this is Satan before the fall, kind of. Uh, whatever that means, because who knows when this fall is supposed to have happened. <laughs> right. Obviously, they're together. And at this point, it's not like they're mortal enemies or something like that. It's kind of the older, maybe uh, Satan, the way you might talk about it a little bit more in the Jewish tradition historically, where that was sort of the adversary who would, um, you know, um, I guess I challenge people, argue against people or something like that. You know, they were mm. just a challenging divine figure, but not like evil necessarily, right, at mm -hmm. this point. So Jung makes a point about like, ultimately going to become like an evil figure <laughs> so mm -hmm. he does it's one of those points where he says like well how come he doesn't recognize the intentions of his son satan he keeps saying that like why does he not see satan's intentions he calls he keeps saying god's son satan that's one of his little like wry lines he keeps like dropping in at points but um so they have a bet that happens there's a like kind of a wager that happens here um god asks satan what do you think about my servant job He's such a loyal servant. And Satan says, he's only loyal because you're always nice to him. If you were not nice to him and you like put him through deprivation, mm -hmm. he would not be nice to you. He would turn on you and he probably would curse you, you know? And God's like, no, 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 that's not true. And they kind of debate this, right? And then the wager happens, right? So that's, you know, that part of the book. Um, now, I've read some scholars on this that say that that's probably a tack on to explain the story. Probably the original story didn't even have that explanation at all. There was no explanation in the original version. Mm -hmm. It has something to do with the linguistics around it. It looks like it's not written by the same, whoever the authors were of that. It looks like it's from a different linguistic kind of style or something. But anyways, that's the story. So then um, in response to this wager, Job loses everything. His kids are killed. His servants are killed. He loses all of his wealth. Eventually, I think he's covered in boils, like laying in the ashes. Yeah, I mean, if I remember, like, like there really was really intense. There were, yeah, there was like a, a you know, some kind of like natural disease that killed all the animals. There was a fire on his farm. Like, you know, this happened yeah. step by step, and and at each step, Job refuses to forsake his yeah. faith at every step right the yeah. devil's like this one's gonna do it ha 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 yeah he's gonna say it now when i take all his animals away and then they yeah. all die and nah and then when i take his servants away and we take his house away and his land away and his health away and all that his other you kids know. away eventually like yeah goes off his kids so it's like it's this kind of progressively ugly 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 thing you know uh yeah until the end i think He's ultimately like covered in boils, I guess, and like laying in the ash or something. Is the way I kind of looked at it again. Yeah, I didn't remember all the details. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but along the way, he refuses to curse God. He has a couple of friends. So, so there's this part where his friends come up, mm -hmm. and they're like, uh, "Well, you must be a sinner," and so on, right? 
And uh, that's the reason why God is giving you all this uh, hard time. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he refuses to accept the commentary of like his different friends. And they give different arguments. I don't remember the details of it. I don't know if I remember you do, Daniel. Maybe not. Jung doesn't focus a lot on it. He just kind of says, you know, mm -hmm. people come up and they keep saying like, you must be getting uh, divine judgment or something. And Job's like, no, I've like been like completely cool the whole time. I've been doing everything. I haven't done anything wrong at all. So he argues with his friends. You know, that's one of the key points in the book. He keeps arguing this point. You right. know, no, I've, I've been, there's no, there's no, nothing I've done that I'm receiving sort of uh, retribution for. And it keeps building. And I guess at some point, even his wife is like, well, now you have to curse God now. Come on. And he still is like, no. So that's the whole buildup of the book till eventually, I should say, there's some monologues in the middle. Yeah. He, yeah. He uh, yeah. But there's a real point where it builds. To, and Jung makes a big deal about this, where he just says it builds to this point where Job is like, I want an explanation from God. That's it. I demand an explanation for why these things are happening to me because it's not because I wasn't a good follower, you know, and I didn't do anything to deserve like, again, divine judgment or something like that. So he's like, he just is demanding this. And after that, God does appear. And he appears, I guess it's described as in like a whirlwind. He appears almost like this kind of force, right? In a whirlwind. And as Jung, Jung's way of describing it is that he definitely demonstrates his power and omnipotence. He just appears as this like powerful force and says, hey. And Job is demanding this explanation. And uh, as Jung kind of points out, it never happens. There's no justification. All God does is kind of like show all of his power, show all of his power, show all of his power, and just kind of declare, you know, I'm the creator of everything. Were you there when I laid the foundation for the earth? No, I was the one who did it. And he kind of does that, right? Again, I'm giving Jung's take on this, right? And Job tries to answer back at some points, right? He tries to answer back, but God almost like, as Jung says, just like talks right over him and demonstrates this power and authority. And Job is left kind of like, hmm. And the whole book ends where God reprimands the friends of Job who were criticizing him because he didn't do anything wrong. And then Job gets kind of like everything, his fortunes turned back again. Then things build up. So the book ends in this positive way. So that's the book of Job. Anything I missed that you think was important? No, I mean, but... At that back in those days, they got married very young. So his wife at this point was only 21. So it was still they could say had like a whole nother generation of kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so what does Jung say about this? This is the story. Now it is an unusual story, right? It's unusual uh in that, I mean, especially in the original version, if there's no explanation of the bet with Satan at all, there's no explanation given, you know. And that might have been the original text, but it's still an unusual story. And I don't know if there's anything, I think Jung is fascinating because I don't think there's anything else in the Bible quite like that. Mm -hmm. There are other kind of like striking stories, but it's striking, right? I think the book of Jonah is kind of interesting, just as another little biblical thing. Because mm -hmm. that's the one where God tells Jonah to go warn the people. I guess it's in Nibia. Like, if you don't clean up your act, I'm going to trash your city. And Jonah refuses to do it. And he does it because he wants justice to go to Nibia. So it's kind of a different version of this. He wants Nibia to get punished. And that's the whole thing where he goes out on the boat and the, the God starts making the sea go crazy. 
And, you know, so the boat that he's on, all the sailors are going to be killed. And they all start going, okay, which God is causing this problem? Which of our gods? And then Jonah eventually goes like, oh, it's my God, because I'm doing this thing. I was commanded to do something I didn't do. And they all try to help the boat. But eventually, they're like, uh, well, we can't really do anything about this. And Jonah says, fine, I don't want to have you all have the problem. And he jumps off the boat. And that's how he ends up in the whale. <laughs> so that's the Jonah and the whale story, right? Which I guess ends up in Pinocchio, probably, right? Doesn't mm -hmm. Pinocchio end up in a whale? Um, uh, but God kind of saves jo uh, Jonah in this whale and then spits him up on the shore. So he has to go again <laughs> to tell these people. <laughs> and he's like very bitter about it. <laughs> and he goes in and he warns people and everybody listens and the whole city's saved. And this pisses him off. <laughs> <laughs> so he sits under like a little tree that God makes grow in the sun. It's really hot. And he's sitting there <clears throat> just like pouting, I guess, under this tree. And then God kills the tree. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so he's mm -hmm. just in the sun, sweating, angry. And God goes like, well, you know, did you, uh, why are you so mad? <clears throat> are you mad because I spared this city? And Jonah says, yes. <clears throat> and then he says like, well, you know, there are many children in that city. And there were many animals. There are many innocent people in that city. And, you know, and I think he says something, are you mad because I killed the tree? And he's like, yes. <laughs> he was making my life shady for a little bit and uh and anyways in the end the whole point is supposed to be like i'm the one who's going to decide i told you to do it right that's up to you to be vengeful against these people you have to be forgiving or something anyways that's a take so there are these stories that are interesting if you don't know the bible at all we told two <laughs> i thought it might be good to tell the jonah story because a lot of people don't know any of these stories you right. know they never heard any of them and they are like kind of interesting in the culture right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right so this gets to the jonah uh, the job thing though right he gets judged. All this terrible stuff happens. It probably had to do with a bet with Satan. Certainly, Jung takes that interpretation, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so where does he run with this thing in the end? So here's Jung's response. And uh, it creates this incredible moment of like thought here. He takes it in a direction that probably you would never think of except unless you're Jung, to be honest. So he goes, makes this incredible statement. He says, this is the moment when humankind shows its superiority to God. <laughs> in this moment so he says this is the moment where human beings starts doing this human beings start doing this special thing and the way human beings this is young the way human beings show their superior to god is not in terms of power because per jung's point of view job is definitely like i don't have your power i don't have it you have the power and i don't so job concedes that point but in Jung's take, Job never concedes the point that what he got was deserved. He never says that, you know? And the moment, again, Jung's take on this, this moment then is Job realizing, I am, I am ethically superior yeah. and morally superior. And in some ways, I have more insight than God. That's Jung's take. Which is like, he says, an incredible shift in human consciousness to start thinking this thought. And it means something <clears throat> for him like really deep in the whole concept of how human beings are going to think about themselves and how humans are going to think about religiosity and their connection to God. So I never had that thought necessarily in reading that book, but this is what Jung says. And he says, people have an insight that God lacks. People are able to have insights that God are not able, that God is not able to have. And he'll continue on this to like what the issue is. But essentially what he ends up talking about is God has a distinct internal lack of knowledge about himself. He's lacking knowledge 
about his own internal world and his own internal truths. God can't see himself. Mm -hmm. He does the power thing, but he doesn't have the insight into himself. He's lacking it. Mm. And so uh, uh, what Jung starts to say is God has, wait for it, drum roll, an unconscious. <laughs> God has his own unconscious, right? The way human beings would have an unconscious, a blind spot inside of ourselves that we're not aware of. God has this, right? And that's the reason why he acts out in the way that he does, is Jung's point. God has this limitation, specifically in the area of his like omniscience. There's all these things that he can't see. And um, he's blind to this. And Jung keeps going throughout the whole book. He'll keep using this phrase, like, why doesn't God check his omniscience? Why is he never checking his omniscience? And again, he'll talk through a story like, like uh, Genesis, you know, with the Garden of Eden and all that. God should know everything that's going to happen. He's supposed to be omniscient. Yet he always seems to be constantly shocked mm -hmm. by everything that's going down. And then he, Jung will say he constantly seems to be shocked by this snake. Why is he shocked? Mm -hmm. You know, he's constantly surprised. So he points out that there's like this weird thing in this vision and I know, like, it's kind of interesting to say what the entire picture of what he's trying to say, partially about, I guess, the nature of God and partially about the nature of human beings recognizing these features, even up to the point of in God or something, right? That you can have an unconscious that you're blind. So the, one of the points of like lacking that Jung says is that God lacks this sense of uh uh, he doesn't really true have he doesn't have true omniscience. He isn't he has an omniscience that he never checks. He has a knowing that he doesn't he's cut off from for some reason. Now the reason Jung says he's cut off and cut off is really interesting. <laughs> that might be a cliffhanger for the next episode in some level, right? But he definitely says he's lacking this. But he also says he's lacking in kind of like a certain kind of goodness. That there's a goodness lacking in this divine figure, right? Mm. Because he's so harsh and judgmental right? And why is he like this? And as Jung goes forward, he kind of says, yeah, God, ha God has an unconscious. God has kind of a dark side then that he isn't aware of entirely. And in a certain sense, if you know Jungian psychology, he's kind of saying God has a shadow mm. because he's cut off from aspects of himself. When you get cut off, he makes this point through the whole book. When things are cut off, when you're cut off from aspects of yourself and they get kind of like into the psychology of the unconscious, then they tend to come out kind of ugly. He keeps making this point, you know, the thing that you're not aware of will go into the unconscious and kind of fester. And then sometimes we'll say that come out as a shadow. So it almost seems like he's saying God has an unconscious and then God has a shadow that comes out, which leads to some of this. And I could say something in the book of Job, this acting out. Okay, I'm going to throw it back to you, Daniel, because this is a deep theology and you got to tell me what you think. <laughs> it's not easy, but the point is then, right, let me ask, ask you up to this point, because there's something that happens with, I'll, I'll say this. So what do you make of this so far? <laughs> so, Have you ever heard anything like that? I've never heard anything like that. Well, and yeah, I was like, I mean, kind of yes, blown yeah. away. I was like, huh. No, well, we've talked about this before because this is the, the point of the, you know, mm, Indians kind of Vedantic thought that conscious that the human consciousness is the larger consciousness attempting to see itself i mean that does come up in indian thought 
and I, I know what you mean. So I think Jung was probably influenced by that. I think yes. he did know that stuff, obviously. And yes. he was like, you know, God creates creation so that he can know more through the view of creation. That's kind of like the idea of it, right? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. But like this being analyzed in the way that God has issues. Right. That's a that's a <laughs> that's, totally that's, that's a, a totally interesting different take. take. That's an interesting take. I never heard anything like that. But before. I think I mean if I, you know, I mean if I'm going to put my psychologist hat on, I'm also going to say that like he's probably also referencing how society views God also. Yeah, I think that's right. It's playful how he does it cuz sometimes he's like it's like he's writing like there's this being out there. Mm-hmm. And he's taking it like as a literal thing. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of an interesting, like, it's it's funny to read on some level, right? Yes. You know, here's God. God has issues. I'm not going to explain. I'm going to psychoanalyze like God. I'm going to psychoanalyze God and explain God's issues for you. So, so sometimes I... he's like that tone, but sometimes it's more like what you're saying. I had the same thought. Sometimes he's more saying, these are the issues of the society that are producing yeah. this vision of what a God is. Yeah. Yeah. When I So when I was in an undergrad at, at North Park and I had to, you know, do a paper. I think I did a paper on uh, the story of Daniel from the old Testament. Ah. And um, which I'm not going to get into now because we're running tight on time, but the, 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 and we have to give our own take on it, you know? And so I gave the take on it that Daniel was communicating because he didn't, they didn't, they never talked about him. They talked about him not having parents. Uh. And so in the story, then I re- he always he referred to God as Father, and so I, for me, it seemed logical that he is speaking to the being whom he considers his giver of life, his literal Father, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so then taken through that, it's the you. I, I saw. I tried to see the eye, the story through the eyes of a child communicating with their parent. Oh, okay. That's a take. That's interesting, right? Yeah. And he, so, he has all these visions. So if you don't too much, he's a prophet. He has all these visions, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, a pro, you know, someone having visions is much, it, people more easily can relate to that when they're younger and they're have be, they're more imaginative, you know, they're more mm. playful yeah, in yeah. that way, you know? So this was the paper that I wrote. I mean, we, I haven't, this is in 2008 that I wrote this. So it's been a long time since I remember 2007 even. So it's been a long time since I've thought about it, but that was my, I remember because the, my teacher even said at that time, he's like, this is a unique viewpoint of this particular story, you know? And so why I'm not that surprised by this is that like, this was something that was, that, that's been latent to me, the personification and the like, and for, for young in this case, the specific personification as in like, God has a mind and that mind is flawed like ours, you know, yes. in these very specific ways, you know, so. Yeah, he's like basically doing Jungian analysis on yes. God. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is like very funny, but of course it also overlaps with the idea of like he's psychoanalyzing the culture that's producing this vision. Correct. Right? You know, how they're thinking. And at this moment, something happens in human consciousness. Okay, so the weird part that happens next, and we, you know, we'll we'll do this part and then we'll like let it roll for next week. But yeah. uh, the weird part is Job sees this in Jung's take. He says Job sees, oh, this was totally unfair, and he never lets it go. So this is Job's insight of saying, oh, this God is flawed. This God has this lack, mm. and it creates this weird dynamism in the story here. Jung's take is like in the moment, it looks like God does his kind of like uh fireworks display right of omnipotence you know special effects everywhere right and job is like overwhelmed right what's he gonna do he can't do that but his point isn't that at all 
his point is not about omnipotence. His point is about something else. And so he's arguing back, right? He does argue, right? And there's never an answer given. God just overwhelms him with this power. Yeah. And Job goes, oh, okay, I see it. So now there's a lack, right? So then Jung says, <laughs> God realizes this later. <laughs> Almost like you have an argument and you get super mad and you storm out, you think you won. And then later on, you're like, oh, <laughs> mm -hmm. maybe I didn't win that argument after all. Hmm. You know, maybe it was just me storming around. So afterwards, God then real God has the insight, like I lost that argument. That's kind of his take on this. And then God goes, okay, um, for Jung then, I mean, I put it in the notes, for Jung, this has an amazing the like the uh, theological consequence, like culturally and like religiously. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden God's like, oh, wait a minute. I have a, I'm having a moment of insight. God has a moment of epiphany or something kind of in this way. doesn't say it in exactly those words, but I kind of, that's kind of the vibe. And then, uh, so the point is that this changes everything for Jung because what it means, and this is like the capper of this episode maybe, is that the manifestation of Jesus is not to forgive people for their sins. That's not what it's supposed to be about, what Jung is saying. The manifestation of Jesus is for God <laughs> to atone for his sins <laughs> against people. And so, and in the way that you were talking about maybe in Indian culture, to appear in a human form to gain insight that Job had that he lacked, something like that. So it twists the whole story like upside down, right? So Jesus is appearing for a different reason. So God can know things through the eyes of like Job to get the insight that Job had, right? Mm. And so he totally twists that story. He just, we've done episodes on Gnosticism. And so Jung was influenced by that where you just twist the story, right? All of a sudden, Eve eating the apple is the best thing to do, you know, because she's trying to like do something positive and the snake is the good guy and so on, you know? So it's quite a twist-a-roo in oh, the yeah. story, right? Uh, so God does this to make up kind of for himself to atone for this and to, like, I guess in a deeper way, really to get insight. Mm. And so the idea is that God needs to become human in order to have the human experience to have the insight that will then allow him to gain self-knowledge that will change his orientation towards things or something. Mm. That's the take. And, um, and then, you know, this again will allow God to come overcome the limitations he has set up because of his own unconscious. So he can start to see things from a different point of view. And like, I don't know, I never read anything like that either. No, and I have to admit, I was like, Whoa. Yeah. That's, um, that's deep. That's impressive. Yeah. I was like, huh? Oh, that's a take. You that's know? impressive. There are yeah. some times, you know, I mean, I'm always impressed by people. My patients teach me stuff. Whenever I teach classes, the students always teach me stuff. Like, I'm one of the dumbest dumb dumbs out there for sure. You know, I'm just well, that's, not, that's not that's not true. I'm just constantly but okay. learning. But when uh -huh. you when you hear something like that, at least for me, I'm like, damn, if he thinks that way about that, I wonder what he thinks about all other kinds of stuff. Cause that's yeah. like, that's <laughs> like oh man, anything like that. <laughs> Any moment of of intelligence <laughs> I thought I'd ever had when you compared to that, nah. I'm I'm a lollipop, a dum dum. That's what I would be if I was a, a Halloween candy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for someone to come up with an idea like that, I was mm -hmm. like, you know. So when I was, I mean, I was like partially like you listen, just to share the experience of that. You listen, and you're partially like, what? 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you partially yeah. laugh a little bit because it's such an interesting like twist. It's amusing mm -hmm. on some level, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But it's also kind of profound, right? It's a profound absurdity. Yeah. Well, it's, I guess it's absurd. Like, what would you say? It's absurd because the point of view is the opposite, right? The point of view is that it's human beings that are supposed to be so bad, right? Yes. Yep. And he flips it, right? And it's, and it's In this funny. way. I was literally talking with a patient of mine today about like societal pressures and the idea of original sin. Oh, know? yeah. And she's like, what's about it? She's like, what does a baby do? They have, what are they doing wrong? And I was like, they were born. Shouldn't have been born. Should have known better. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. But this is interesting because when you move over, like, you know, we were both raised in Christian backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, when you move over into Asian spirituality, there's no original sin. It doesn't no. exist. So that's gone, right? Yeah. He says something really interesting about that too. He says, is so his part of his, we'll, we'll build to what he says about JC, Jesus later on, right? Because he, yeah. he, this continues to build in ways where you're like, where's he going with this? <laughs> after he does this but it does continue the build and as it builds uh you, you you again you're kind of impressed but it was this whole thing of like uh he gets at some point where he's saying like god and divinity and humans have to become one it has to happen right and he says it in kind of a weird way it's almost like again he's such a complicated writer in so many ways but he's basically saying as long as you have this split where there's an absolute division between like the divine, which is supposed to be the perfection and the human being, which is supposed to be the shit, the original sin, all the bad stuff, right? Then what will happen is human beings will always take on the projection of the dark side of God. So human beings will always be seen through the dark shadow part of the unconscious of God. And I, you know, you're kind of starting thinking, what does that mean? That means that in a certain sense, God is projecting his own shadow on the human beings and they're like being seen in this crap way and as long as that's happening there's going to be this terrible dysfunction and how mm -hmm. people are going to think essentially right mm -hmm. god is going to be all perfect human beings are going to be crap mm -hmm. and human beings will take on the role of being crap and then all this i mean in certain sense he's saying all this shadow dark side unconscious stuff within the divinity will get projected trippy really wow. trippy what do you make of it does it sound I mean, I'm not religious in this way, so I don't have a stake in this game. Uh, you know, I, I think this these religious traditions are fascinating. I've learned things from them. I love the Kabbalah, but I don't have a stake in the game of finding this offensive. Do you think people would find this offensive? I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. <laughs> shit. I mean, does a, is uh -huh. a, does a stove, can a stove burn your hand if you touch it while it's on? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Does the Pope shit in the woods? Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. He does. If he's got, if he ate a burrito, 100%. Does <laughs> <laughs> a bear wear a funny hat? Does the Pope yeah, shit in the woods? <laughs> if, he was yeah. elected, if he was elected Pope. Yeah. It's like one of those things where you're kind of like, huh, you know? Yeah. So I listen to it and I don't find it defensive. I'm like, I find it fascinating, you know? Yeah. It's like a cultural statement because I don't have a stake in that God. Right. You know, but I was like, mm, I wonder how offensive people would find that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine fairly offensive, but I mean, I think on the other hand, like, again, I went to that Swedish covenant school, you know, mm -hmm. Christian school and they totally allowed for freedom of thought. That I guess was, it depends on like how, yeah, how much you have invested, you know? I, I mean, I think on some level people in religion, if they're, if they're being genuine 
are happy that people are just engaging with the teachings in general. Uh, that's a truth to that. I mean, you know, if you're a teacher and someone gets, you get a thoughtful essay like, essay like the one you did on the book of Daniel, you're like, oh, okay. This guy put some of his self in here. He really, yeah, you, did, you know, there. okay, let's yeah. talk, you know, like, okay, we'll talk, we, we break it down. I mean, they're tales. So mm -hmm. you're supposed to learn from them. So they're teaching, they're teaching tools, right? They're teaching yeah. tales. So yeah. the fact that like somebody has an insight that, that takes a tale or takes a narrative and just literally reflects it. Does it, does it want a complete, you know, 90 or 180 degree reflection on the narrative itself shows a, the capability of people's minds to not just accept stories as they're told, but to turn them actually, which means that they might be able to do the same for themselves in their own lives, you know, and mm -hmm. to be able to question things and, and make different decisions. So it's a, it's a deep dive into the psychology of one person, but also uh, it leaves open the possibility that people could have that for themselves within their own sphere of looking at philosophy, religion, God, whatever. Jung is kind of fascinated by this union of opposites. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So he's kind of like influenced a lot by like yin and yang kind of thinking too, right? And so he's constantly playing this thing. And so I think what the point he's getting here is like, it's not just for human beings are getting something where they are going to have to connect spiritually to something above themselves or something, however you want to frame that, right? Yeah. But also the divinity is getting something too. It's a union that has to happen. It's a union of opposites. And he keeps kind of playing this through. He's interested in like uh, alchemy too. Mm -hmm. And the union of opposites, which produces transformation that obviously fascinates him. That's a little bit where he was on relationships too. The union of opposites or the union of you know things coming together that have a chemical power. And I think that's part of the way the pitch goes forward. This meaning of like, the divine and the human is like something that has to happen. It's a, it's a integrating together. Right. And I think he probably feels like that has to happen within the culture too. People have to come to some place where they feel they need to have this union, you know, not this polarization of it's really subtle what he's trying to say. He's saying until human beings can do this, they're going to be psychologically unhealthy and dangerous potentially, mm. you know, because they're going to have like, they're not, they're not, they're either going to be like thinking of themselves as crap or they're going to have rigid ideas of what's happening in terms of their religion and their spirituality. And they're, they're not, they're not uniting in a spiritually productive way. You have to unite human and divine to grow, evolve and develop so we can get to be better. Mm. That's part of his point. And that will be how he's going to talk about like the Jesus archetype then what that means, you know, but it's a union of opposites, you know, the same way he has like a union of opposites between conscious and unconscious. That's yin and yang. So those things that are unconscious has to be united with the things that are conscious. The divine and the and the human form have to be united. He's trying to like talk that way through the whole book and like all these different angles. And he's young, so he never like makes it, he makes it like explicit, but you know, he's young. So he writes a little fuzzy, <laughs> mm -hmm. but he's talking about that issue, right? And until that happens, you know, it's going to be a problem. It's like a powerful idea. And he gets there from this book of Job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, anyways, I guess we'll, we'll continue on because you got to figure out, okay, here's the cliffhanger. What happens with Jesus next? <laughs> and then where does the divine feminine fit in? So there's our cliffhangers for next week. Where does Sophia fit in? Because those are the two big things that come up next. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens when the unconscious isn't seen? How ugly does it get? So to be continued, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, well, Eric, yeah. I, I, good, good stuff as always, man. It's a twister. Mm-hmm. I it guess we'll all be thinking about it for the week going, huh? 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I never heard that talked about before. No, no, that's a good one. That's yeah. definitely a good one. Well, okay. thank you, my friend. Thank uh, you. And, and thank you to our audience. You know, we appreciate all the love and all the feedback and all the stuff, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, subscribe, share, hit us up, ginandtantra at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, Gin and Tantra Podcast. We're on Facebook. Eric is at Eric Baker. I'm at Daniel Domalekny. Uh, you know, leave a comment. We'll we'll talk and we'll like, or you can uh, you know leave us a, a message via the email, via Instagram, via whatever's. Um, you know, we do it because we love it and we appreciate the love in return. So if you find our work useful, uh, please consider sharing with uh, friends, enemies, or neutral ones. <laughs> That's very very Buddhist. That's pretty much all you got. <laughs> That's all you got. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for listening. For Eric, this is Daniel. We'll catch you on the next one. Peace. I want you to get together. I want you to get Put your hands together one time. I want you to get together. I want you to get together.